are we doing? Excellent. Let me have a look at you. Oh, Redcliffe, you have my heart. You have my heart. We're saying to Henji Coelho, so we're driving over the bridge. There's nothing like driving over that bridge. And then the sea was all still and the silly people were out on their boats. And I should be in church. It's a place to be this morning. They'll be catching fish and dying with sharks and things like that. But it's just amazing. I love Redcliffe. I love how you worship. I love how you give. I love the faithfulness and the history of faithfulness. Hey, good morning. That's in this place. And that sounds so, so... So honored to be here with you this morning. And uh, this morning I'm going to talk to you a, a little bit of a different message called Fiddle Leafs, Flax and Foes. So hopefully that's piqued your interest this morning and you maybe can't see where I'm going with that, which is kind of my, my point this morning. So the, the crux of this morning is, is that we want you to submit your life to the truth of the Word of God. And that when we do that, our perspective is going to shift and you're hopefully going to see where you've been intentionally placed. So we're starting with that base thought this morning that where you are in your world, in your school, in your workplace, in your university, in your retirement village, wherever it is that you are in the spaces and the places that you inhabit, that you've been intentionally placed there. And perhaps that Jesus has a plan for you there and that that could be different maybe than what you're expecting. So the seed of this teaching was, came around about, or maybe in January, and I was um, lying on my very comfy rug that I bought because I'm a little bit older and I needed a comfy rug to lie on the floor with my little girl with. And, uh, and we're reading books and it's lovely. And, um, and I was having a little moment, I had a cushion under my head and she's pottering around and it's great. And I'm looking up at a fiddly fig, which is my pride and joy in my house because they're notoriously finicky plants and I do not have much of a green thumb, but this is four years going strong. And it's, I know, right? I, yes, it is the Lord in our house. It's only the presence of Jesus that's sustaining this plant. And I've moved him twice and he's fine. Like he's doing, he drops a leaf every time we have to move him for Christmas. And then he's like, oh, it's okay. He gets on with it. So I'm, anyway, I'm staring at this plant. And I'm looking, because I'm at a different angle. I'm on the floor. And I'm looking at the underside of the fiddle leaf, fig leaf. And I'm like, that's really amazing. It was really amazing. I, I suggest that if you have one, go, go home and go look at the underside of the leaf. Because there's all these like thick veins and then intricate veins and I was having a look at it and I was like that's really amazing and as I'm having this moment of I've seen this plant it must be well I counted it out it's at least 1,460 times because it's four years old and I look at it every day and um, and I've seen it every day but I've never seen it from this perspective and that's because my position had changed and so my perspective changed and I was having this lovely moment where I was like that's really amazing and then my little girl um quickly interrupted the scene as she was bringing a book to read to me and it was like careering towards my face with the spine and I was like ah they don't tell you that that you could be brained at any moment with like a hard plastic toy or like a decent book and it's quite perilous so I was having this lovely moment and then Lib just crashed it which was lovely but I, I made the note and I was like this my when my position changed my perspective changed. And just full disclosure, while I was down there, I also noticed the dried dog drool that was on the side of my TV unit. I noticed the crumbs that the robot vacuum apparently didn't think needed to be sucked up. And I noticed a stain of indistinguishable origin. I was like, mm, sort that back out another day. So 
while I was down there, it wasn't all dreamy and lovely revelation. There was some real life in there as well. But my prayer this morning is that as you sit in your seat, I'm not going to get you to change seats this morning to change your perspective. You're going to stay where you're sat. But I'm praying this morning, and I've been praying all week for you, that as we sit together and as we listen and, and as we learn together, that your physical body may not change, but your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit will. And that that will be the thing that shifts this morning, that you can see clearly with clarity where God has placed you to be. And that in doing that, that's going to lead to fruit, much fruit, more fruit, and God willing, everlasting fruit coming from your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together as we get into the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. Lord, it's wiser than we are. It's more clever than we are. It holds more truth than we hold. It has more revelation than we know. And so, Father, as we submit our lives, our hearts, our minds, our will, our emotion this morning to the word of God, we pray, Lord, that it bring truth, it bring clarity. It brings freedom and perspective change in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Joshua 2. That's where we're going to center our time around today. So perhaps you've not been in church for a very long time, or maybe you've not read Joshua for a little while. Here's just a bit of the context of what's going on in the bigger story so that we don't make this story mean something that it doesn't mean. So there's a family that's been chosen by God to Go and show his glory to the whole world. That's the plan. And God has blessed that family and multiplied them into a nation. And they've done really well. They've prospered. And then they, were, um, they got sent out and then they were um, held captive for a long time. But even in captivity, they flourished. And then God was like, it's time for you to, to be delivered. So he raises up a guy called Moses and they lead this family that's now turned into this incredible nation out. So they've come out of a place of captivity. They've seen God do some amazing things. He's held the way out for them where they couldn't find a way and then God made a way for them. And then uh, they get to this place where we're going to visit and they, they totally stuff it up. Like they have their opportunity and then they just blow it in the biggest way possible. And then because of that, they have to wander around in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years until a whole generation of people die, which is quite a stark thing to happen. And so God at that time is helping form in them faithfulness and helping them to understand that he will do what he says he's going to do and he's always going to be with them. And so that's what's going on in this time. And then they get back to this place. They circle around through the 40 years and they come right back to the place where they stuffed it up before. And so they're, they're in this place. There's this plain that's called Shittim, which is terrible to say as a preacher. So I'm going to try and just say it once. Then I'm just not going to refer to it again because I feel terrible and like I need to ring my mom and apologize for that. So I'm saying it once and then we're just saying that plain, all right? Because it just feels so awkward, let me tell you. It's not good. So they're in this place, and then there's the River Jordan, and then in the distance is a place called Jericho, which is intentionally intimidating. It's got very high walls. It's a city. It's actually the oldest city, do you think, on the earth that's still inhabited today. So I know, right? Things you know as you're looking out for your preach. So Jericho is this place, it's formidable, it's intentionally intimidating, it's established, it's guarded, and the Israelites can see that in the distance. They know it's there, and they're right back where they were 40 years before that. The place where they're camping, that place, 
um, also has a lot of history. So in that place, it's where um, this uh, false uh, king tried to curse them and couldn't and had to bless them. So there was lots of blessing that went on in this place. It's also where they stuffed up again and all of the guys went and started marrying with the Moabite and the Midianite women and God was like, this is not okay. And it was really bad and a massive judgment happened and 24,000 people died in that place. So I want you to see, just have, a, have in your head, if you're going to a place where 24,000 people, of people that you know, have died, that, that's quite an intense place to be. It's also where Moses' leaving speech happened, so where Moses gathers everybody together and he's like, guys, we stuffed up, now we're crossing over, please don't stuff up again, basically is the crux of that whole speech. Trust, trust God, he's better than you think, don't do what you did before. And it's also where Joshua's just been installed as leader. So Joshua, at the start of Joshua, it says, Moses, a servant, is dead. And then it talks about Joshua. And then there's this little phrase at the end of Joshua 1 where I'm like, Joshua, you should have seen it come in when they said, it says, we will serve you as we served Moses. And I'm like, no. If I was Joshua, I would have been like, don't do that. Because how we were obedient to you as we were to Moses. Well, don't. Choose, choose something better. Because how you did it before was rubbish. So you missed this chance to just sit everybody down and say, guys, let's just do this differently. So that's just happened. And then we get to Joshua 2. Let's read. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from that place as spies, saying, Go view the land, but especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. We're going to pause there for a minute. So for us, we're like, that's nice. The story's just kind of doing a little bit of a slow start. But for anybody listening to this, for the community of Israel, they've immediately got bells going off in their head. Because they're thinking, hang on, we've been here before. We've been in this place, this plain where we're all camping. And this sounds like something that happened before. This sounds like when Moses sent 12 spies out and they went out to go spy the land. Because it's the same thing that's happening. But there are some big differences that Joshua chooses to do. And that's because he's had 40 years to think about his experience. Because we know that Joshua was one of the spies that were sent out in the twelve. And now Joshua's in a position of leadership. So he's had 40 years to think about what went wrong. And if he was going to be leader, how would he do things differently? And his chance comes and he chooses something different. So instead of this time sending out, so Moses announced it to everybody. We're going to send 12 spies out and they're going to spy out the land for us. And the spies goes out and then Joshua and Caleb come back and like, it's really big. Things are difficult in there, but surely with God we can do it. The other ten come back and we're like, they've got amazing grapes. Things are so cool. We are teeny tiny and we cannot do it, is the paraphrase of what that whole story is. And so Joshua has learned from that experience. He doesn't send 12 out. He just sends two. He doesn't announce what he's doing to everybody. He says, the account says he sent them out in secret. And he doesn't say to them, go and have a look at everywhere. He says, look at the land, especially Jericho. And we know from later on in the account, they don't go everywhere. They literally just go to Jericho. And so Joshua's had all of this time to think, all right, what will I do differently? I think maybe it's a little bit like, have you ever done a group project, maybe in uni or school? 
and then like you know you're all doing it together and then somebody just stuffs it up at the end and you're like like they're doing the presentation and they like they don't nail the ending or you know they they should have been doing the powerpoints and they don't do it I think it was maybe a little bit like that for Joshua and that all 12 of them went out and Joshua and Caleb come back and like guys we can totally do this and the other 10 are like group project no we really can't it's not it's no good guys and then because of those 10 people and the report and how the nation of Israel believed what they said 38 years later a whole generation that dies so if you're Joshua are you not being really careful about how you pick are you not thinking right who is the most encouraging the most faith-filled the most positive the person who's like doesn't matter that the glass is empty we're just going to go find a river we're going to fill that glass up the person who's like can we do this yes absolutely we can you would find the most positive faith-filled we can do this can do attitude person and those are the ones you would send out and that's what Joshua does. He chose men full of faith. And I find, when I'm reading this, I see the humor in this account. When they're like, go view the land. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. I just wanted to imagine for a minute the conversation that the two spies have with Joshua when they get back. And they have to give their report. And they're like, Joshua's like, all right, sit down, guys. How did it go? It went well went well and he's like good 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 and he's like so so we went to the city excellent excellent that's what I asked you to do and we found a house to stay superb good tactics well done and where did you stay well <laughs> well there was this girl and they're like yes so I find this, I just find that funny. I'm like, surely you've got to be like, if you're telling Joshua what you've done, and be like, we, we stayed in a house with a prostitute called Rahab. And he'd be like, and finish the sentences, guys. Like, I'm sure that must have been, that's how I imagine it anyway. So, but the reason why they picked that house is a smart, it's a good tactical move. Because in this city, these sorts of houses were a smart place to go if you didn't want questions asked. Because people would come and go, and that was how it was. And so if you're going into that sort of house, then the less questions are going to be asked than if you just go somewhere really reputable and rock up and go, hello, we're spies, we're here to come and see if we can conquer your city. So they made a good tactical choice, but I just see the humor in them trying to explain to Joshua. But it was fine, it was fine, it was all fine, Joshua. This is how I imagine it going. They might meet me in heaven and be like, it was not like that, Julie. You misrepresented us at Redcliffe. Okay. But here we go. So verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. That's not good. So they've already been uh, dobbed in. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, direct order here, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So apparently their kind of sneaky sneaking in has not worked so well because everybody knows. And I always thought, how is that? If Jericho's such this massive city and they're kind of, you know, they've snuck in and they've gone to a smart place, they've gone to the house of a prostitute where it doesn't really matter who comes and goes, how on earth is it that like, you know, the next verse, the king of the city, not just like some random person, but the king of the city is like, you've got two spies in your house, we know why they're here, bring them out. Because that's got to have gone through a lot of people to get to the king, right? It's not just one person walking up. And I was, I was like, how does that happen in this massive city? But when we say city, we're thinking like Brisbane, like 
huge city, but it's not. It's in the tens of thousands rather than the hundreds of thousands of people. And the scale of it is, think like a few football fields, like big, but not so big that you can't notice when somebody comes in and word doesn't travel fast and word doesn't get out. So that's kind of why the king finds out really quickly. Verse four, but the women had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So she's barefaced lying to the king now. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she's just lied, and now she's covering for them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof, because it was like the season where you'd cut the flax, and then you'd wash it, and then you'd dry it on your roof, and then they'd turn it into like paper and linen and all sorts of different things. So big, big bundles. So the men from the city pursued after these people who aren't out of the city on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So this is a really interesting little part of the story here because, again, if you're an original listener, we've had shades of um, Moses with sending out the 12 spies, and we're supposed to kind of remember that and think about that as we're listening to this bit. This part has shades of when the midwives are told by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, listen, any baby boys that are born to the Israelites, you just kill them. A direct order is given to some women by king. And those midwives, as we've, we've talked about this before, they completely disregard that. They go against what's been told to them, and they also then lie to Pharaoh. The same thing is happening here. The king of the city comes to her and says, I know what's going on. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. Like, how do you know? No, you've got it all wrong. She lies, and then she intentionally covers for them. She is risking her own life. She puts her life on the line for these two spies that she's just met, goes against a direct order, lies for them. Now, it was customary at the time that if somebody came into your home, you had to protect them. That was the rules. That was like the social convention. But there was a point at which, if it was going to then threaten your life, then you're like, well, I don't know you. You're a stranger. Off you go. Fend for yourself. But Rahab doesn't do that. She goes a step further. She's like, I don't know these guys. They've never met before. They're not like good friends. They're not pen pals that have been writing to each other for 40 years. Strangers. And she takes them into her home. And then she covers for them. And she lies for them. And she also sets up this decoy, which means that the people who are supposed to be looking for them are looking in entirely the wrong place. There's incredible risk for her. And in verse 6, it says, She caused them to ascend to go up to the roof where the flax is drying. And again, there's, we don't need to make too much of this, but the writer is intentionally kind of pulling in some threads from different stories of Moses' birth here, where Moses, if you remember, because the death sentence is over all baby boys in Israel, and his sister and his mum hid him because he was so special, and then his sister makes a basket for him and hides him in the bulrushes. Do you remember that part of the story? And so the, the writer is kind of making all these little references to try and help you start to see some parallels here, that this is a salvation story. This is a significant story that's happening at a big juncture in Israel's history. So it's the same sort of thing that's going on. So much so that when, in verse 6, it says, she hid them with the stalks of flax. 
the the translators have moved that so that it makes sense in English for us. But in the in the original language, it says she hid him with the stalks of flax, which makes no grammatical sense because we know there's two spies. So, but they're trying to kind of make these parallels to help us see the significance of what's going on in this story at the time. So before we get to the crux of the account, let's just review everybody's positions in the story. Because remember, we're talking about our positions and where that perspective change can come. So the nation of Israel is camped in this place that for so many of them has memories of death. It's a place where there was, as a nation, massive disobedience. It's a place of transition. It's a place where they're, they're camped and they know they've got to cross over. They know they've got to go over to this place. But in the distance, they can see this intimidating foe, this intimidating enemy of Jericho. This land that's literally there that's been promised to them. That as children, they may have just, maybe they remember, maybe they don't because they would have been very tiny at the time if they were even born. But they've been here before and yet it's there again within reaching grasp. I to think about Joshua's position, newly appointed leader. You're following Moses. That's a tough gig. Deliverer, you know, the one who's amazing and seeing, you know, struck a rock and water comes out and uh, bronze snakes and like just this incredible, like incredible leader who met with God and had glory on his face and just, and then it's you. That's, that's a tough leadership gig, newly appointed. And his first act of leadership, he chooses to do in secret. So they're all camping, and nobody knows that Joshua's done this. Joshua knows, and maybe a few people in his household, but the responsibility of a nation now rests on his shoulders. That's pretty rough, hey, Hendrico? Of a nation, not of a location, not of a workplace, not of a family. No, no, the whole nation is on your shoulders. Well, you know, that would make you pray, I reckon, quite a lot. He's waiting in the camp, and he's wondering, and he's thinking, did I pick the right guys? Did I pick the right ones? Have I done the right thing? Should I have done it like Moses did? You know, what would you think if you were in that situation? Should I not have just done it how Moses did? You know, did I make the right decision? It was a bit of a risk. Like, did I pick the right guys? I hope they're all right. What if they just come back with like their heads on a stick because they, you know, they stuffed up and they got caught and, and then my first leadership act comes back to me in a bag. Like, really, really bad. Like, so he's, he's got to be a little bit worried. We've got Jericho and its whole people in a fortified city, defensively strong, intentionally imposing and intimidating. They are in this place of strength and power and authority and come at us. We've got walls. That's unusual. They've got these walls around them. That's where they are. And yet they know that Israel's just over the Jordan. We've got the two spies. Their position is on the top of a roof with the warm clay pressed against their face with bundles of flax over them, wondering if this woman of disrepute that they've just met, who has no reason to help them whatsoever, is going to do what she actually said she was going to do. I think you'd be pretty tense. I think you'd be pretty worried. I think you'd be waiting for the next set of footsteps coming up the stairs. I think you'd probably have your hand on your sword. I think you'd be ready to go. I don't think they'd be like, great, what a lovely place, let's have a nap. I think they'd be like, oh my goodness, we're on a roof. 
under some bundles. Literally, somebody can just come and shove a spear through the bundles and our day is over. I think they've got to be fairly worried. We've got Rahab, this Canaanite woman, prostitute. Canaanite sacrifice to demon gods, idols all around her house. This woman who just chose to risk her life and basically the lives of her entire family for two guys she just met. For what reason? Why would she do that? Why she just lied to her king? And she's just about to go up the stairs for a conversation that I promise you nobody is expecting in this story. Here's what she says. Before the men lay down, that's go to sleep, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. The whole, everybody got killed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the fear of the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, all right. Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us a land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Original listeners, jaws on the floor. I imagine the two spies, if had they not been sat down on the rooftop, they would have fallen over. They would have been like, what? Of all the things that they were expecting Rahab to come up and say, I can guarantee you it was not this sentence. It was not this account. And Rahab, basically the furthest person we could pick from the family of God, the furthest person, a woman, a Canaanite, somebody who worships demons, somebody who sacrifices children, somebody who is, whose life is diametrically opposed by all the rules of Israel, she should immediately be dead for lots of different reasons, on lots of different counts. And she says, I know the Lord has given you the land. This incredible statement of faith, this prophetic statement flows out of her mouth. And Israel's camping, looking up at Jericho, thinking, oh my goodness, Jericho's in the distance. That's our first thing we've got to sort out. These two foes looking at each other. Jericho, we find out, is looking over at Israel going, oh my goodness, Israel's just over there. Oh no. All the bad things are happening at once. So these two foes are looking at each other, each thinking that the other is super intimidated, but each actually being intimidated by the other. Nobody would have expected that Jericho is looking at Israel going, goodness me, Israel's around the corner. It's all over for us. Nobody would have thought that. The city have heard the stories of God's faithfulness. And in the natural, they've got the upper hand. They've got the defensive position. They've got the, um, the walls. They've got the army. They've got everything that they need to make sure that they can't be conquered. And yet, their position of fear means that they're, they're cowering. They could have said it this way. We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That would have been a fitting statement to come out of their mouth. 
They're in fear, even though they've got this incredible defensive position. And the change of the spy's position, the change of position for the two spies, shifts the entire perspective of this story. As they're walking up to the city, and they're like, okay, Joshua's picked us. He's picked us because we're men of faith, and we're good at doing what we said we're going to do. And we're not going to fail like the other ones did, because we've heard the stories, and everybody's died that we know. And so responsibility on us. We've got to like make this right, and we've got to do it right. And as they're walking up to the city, they must be thinking, how on earth, how on earth are we going to take this city? How are we going to do that? And there's no way that they could have anticipated what they just heard that actually Jericho has had 40 years of living in fear of Israel because it says we heard how the God parted the Red Sea that's 40 years ago 40 years of them being like oh no Israel's around the corner and I wonder I just I can't prove this from the text so this is not like a Jesus says thing I just wonder that as the Israelites are wandering around for 40 years. And it's not an immense space where they wandered around. Menial went there on honeymoon. It's, it's, it's a large area, but not so big. And I just wonder if every now and again, as Israel camped within eyesight of Jericho, I wonder if Jericho saw the cloud of fire by night. I wonder if they saw the cloud by day and they were like, oh, guys, they're there again. <gasps> Look at this nation. They're just wandering. What are they doing? It's all right. They're going past. They're going past. They're moving on. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I just wonder, did they see? Because Rahab's really clear. She says, we know the Lord your God is God in the heavens above on the earth beneath. I just wonder, did they see it? Did it put that fear into their heart? Jericho on the outside looks intimidating, but inside it's full of fear. And as I, was, as I was prepping this message, that one sentence, on the outside it was intimidating, but on the inside it's full of fear, I felt was a specific thing for somebody here about somebody in your workplace or in your world. You look at them and you're like, this person is so intimidating. But if you could really see behind the wall, you'd see they're full of fear. They're full of fear. They're not okay. They're, they look intimidating and imposing, but they're full of fear. And perhaps Jesus wants you to go and speak to that person. So Rahab has this incredible change of position for her. This is a 180 thing. It's a whole death sentence over her family. But she has faith and courage and works and this posture of humility to this God that she doesn't even know, which is quite amazing. She doesn't know God. She's heard of him. She's seen some things. She's heard stories. And yet she chooses to submit her life, literally put her life in the hands of these two guys she's never met and take a chance on a God that she's heard of and hope that he's going to be merciful to her and her family. The spies had every right to be like, that's a lovely piece of information, Rahab. Thank you. Good. We'll take that. And now we're going to slaughter all of you and your family so that what word of what we're actually doing doesn't get out. That would have been a good tactical decision by the spies. That actually would have been completely normal in the, in the kind of scope of war and what was going on. That would have been fine. But she brings her and her whole family's life in this position of humility, in this faith and works, and says, do you think God would have us? Could we be part of the family? We've heard of this God. Could, he, could, could we kind of be part of that? Can we get in? 
And the results we find out in salvation for her and her family. And for Rahab, she's counted as righteous. Those of you that know your New Testament well will know that in James and in in Hebrews, and when we're talking about the hall of fame and faith and all that kind of stuff, Rahab's mentioned. But she's one of the only people who's mentioned in regards to faith and works. That's actually Abraham that's mentioned for faith and works. He talks about in James how faith and works, and if you don't have works and your faith is what's that worth. And then it says, and likewise with Rahab. She's given us a second example after Abraham. Incredible. And so as sleep came for the household, as the city goes to sleep, as the spies put their head down and they're covered with the flax, as Rahab descends and goes back downstairs to her house filled with idols of demons as she goes to sleep, I just wonder if they were all marveling and thinking, this day has not ended at all how I thought it was going to end. (laughs) Goodness me, things are a little bit different, simply because their position changed and it shifted their perspective. There's no way they could have, like, anticipated that. And the account concludes with Rahab giving them further instructions about how to avoid the people who've gone out to go and find them and to um, kill them. And then they find out that there's a further three days that Joshua has to wait. I feel sorry for Joshua in this story because the the spies go out and then they have to hide in the country for three days before they can go back so they know they're not going to get caught. And so then in verse 23, we hear what happens when the spies go back to Joshua. It says, Then the two men returned and they came down the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and they told him all that had happened to him. And that's the bit where I'm like, Joshua would be like, Keep going, guys. I'm not quite sure where this story is going, but get to your point really quickly. So they tell the story. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. They've only heard from one woman in Jericho. These are the kind of guys you want on your team. One, one person is like, yeah, we're all in fear. And they're like, it's fine, Joshua. Everybody. It's great. Says Golden, let's go. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. What an amazing sentence Joshua was not expecting. He was not expecting that sentence. I'm almost certain of it. Four days of a reconnaissance mission to go find out. His first big leadership challenge. His first gamble of like, oh, I'm going to make a decision and I just don't know how this is going to go. And what I find really interesting about this whole account, right, is that this in reality, makes no difference tactically for what happens next. Because the, the angel of the Lord, the commander of the armies of the Lord, comes to Joshua and then gives him the tactics of how they're going to take Jericho, which is, again, not at all what Joshua is expecting. It says to go walk around the walls and all of that, which you probably know about. But this account has no bearing on that. It doesn't change how that happens, aside from the fact that it changes the position and the perspective of the people walking up to the walls. Because if you're walking up to a walled city, intentionally intimidating this incredible foe, you don't know how it's going to go, you don't know how it's going to pan out, they are so scary, and you walk up, you're going to be like, hi guys, we're here to come and take over your city. (laughs) Woo, really mean and nasty. Like, you know, because it's all, it's difficult, they're the intimidating ones, but... The two spies come back, give their report, and then this report, how quick would that have gone through the camp of Israel? 
That's good news. That would have gone through really quick. And here's what I reckon they would have said. They fear us. They're afraid of us. Can you believe it? Jericho is afraid of us. And it's entirely the different, the posture that they woke up with because of Rahab's account and because of her report. They would now walk up being like, yes, it looks intimidating. Yes, there's walls. Yes, there's things going on. But these people are afraid of us. Their hearts have melted away. They've heard the stories of our God. They're intimidated by us. And I reckon they would have put their shoulders back a little bit straighter. I reckon they would have held their heads up a little bit higher. And they would have walked in a confidence that had Rahab not had that story told about her, then that wouldn't have happened. The new perspective happens for Joshua, for the spies, for the people of Israel, and also for Rahab. God welcomes her into the family. He shouldn't really do that. That's breaking the rules, actually, because they're not supposed to have Canaanite women in the camp, certainly not supposed to marry them, certainly not supposed to welcome them in. Demon-worshipping people who sacrifice children, they're not really the kind of people that are supposed to be in the family. And yet God says, I see the heart. I'm going to bring this family in. And the whole family comes in. Big extended family. It's not just like Rahab and two you know, insignificant cousins. It's mum, dad, brothers, sisters, everybody. It was a big deal for them. They're safe from destruction because of her faith and her works together. So what does this have to do with you? Questions that I want us to reflect on as we enter a new week. Because... This is a great story. I love this story. But unless you're like a walled city or, you know, how, how do you find yourself in the story? How does this story make your Wednesday afternoon any different than it was the week before? And here's some questions that I want you to think about and then maybe bring some encouragement around. First is this. Are you in a place of intimidation today? Israel and Jericho saw an insurmountable foe each of them. Israel looked up at Jericho, thought, oh my goodness, walls, it's so massive, can't do it. Jericho's looking down at Israel going, oh my goodness, this place that has the God of heaven and earth with them, fire and cloud and parting seas. They look at each other and they're intimidated. But Israel has the God of heaven and earth on their side. And I wonder this morning, can you shift your perspective And if you are feeling intimidated, could you see the position that you're truly in? Could you see where you actually are? Because Israel always had the God of heaven and earth with them. They always had God on their side, backing them, looking out for them, helping them, being their God. And yet, for some reason, they didn't see it. They couldn't see themselves the way that everybody else saw them. So could you shift your perspective this morning to see the position that you are truly in? Could you see that you're the head and not the tail? That you're above and not beneath? That the God of angel armies is on your side? He goes with you. Could you see this morning that you've been equipped for every good work? So if you're struggling with a good work this morning, you're like, I don't know how to do this, could you shift your perspective and think, I've been equipped for this. God himself has equipped me. He designed me and made me to be able to do the good work that he planned in advance for me to do. Could you see this morning that you actually have everything that you need, the word of God says, for life and righteousness? You lack nothing this morning. 
It's really hard to see, but that's the truth of it. Could you see this morning that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians says. So if you feel like you're somewhere down here, no, no. The reality is, is that you are seated with Christ at the table with him. He is near you. He is for you. Could you see that you only need a mustard seed size of faith? You don't have to have it all together, but you need just the tiniest, tiniest, insignificant speck of faith plus the works that you're going to put onto that and God will move mountains. Can you see that his presence goes with you? And maybe you can't see it, but if we were to look from an outside perspective, I'm sure if we asked your world, they would say, I can see God going with them. I can see clouds of fire. I can see fire by day and cloud. Could you shift your perspective to who is truly with you this morning? Second question, are you in a place of waiting today? Joshua has four days to mull over. Is this leadership decision that I made going to come off? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out. Are you in a place of waiting? And if you are, could you choose a position of humility and trust while you wait? If you're waiting for a doctor's report, a leader's decision, a business plan to unfold, a child to come back to Jesus, whatever it is that you're waiting for today, could you wait with a position of humility? Could you wait on your knees? Could you wait prayerfully? Could you wait knowing that it's not you that works it all out for your good? Could you wait trusting that the time in God's presence is the best place to spend your waiting time? Could you fill your mind with peace instead of what ifs? Could you position yourself under God's hand knowing that in due time he'll lift you up? And that his timing's perfect. And so if he's not lifted you up, that's because his timing is perfect and it's not the right time yet. And to do lift you up early would break you. It would be terrible. Could you wait under God's hand knowing that sometimes he hides you for a season and that's actually the kindness of God for you to work out some of your stuff while lots of eyes aren't on you? And that if you were to be promoted early and when you wanted to be, that actually that would be damaging to yourself and lots of other people. Can you sit under God's hand and know that it's okay? Can you allow that position of humility to shift your perspective from I'm so worried about this to Jesus, I trust you. And even if it doesn't work out how I think, I'm going to praise you anyway. Could we shift that? Question number three, are you scared of being sent out today? Is the thought of talking about church, what you've done on the weekend, faith in God, Jesus, what he's done for you, does that fill you with fear of the unknown? Oh my goodness, what am I going to say? We've got nothing in common. They won't understand. Our lives are so different. These people aren't just interested. They're not interested in the things of God. Are you intimidated? Their life is devoted to things that are so far from God. Could you choose obedience instead this morning as the band come? Could you walk up to the walled city, as it were, in your workplace, in your education setting, in your retirement village, in your family gathering? Could you walk up to that place trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead you to the right person, even if it's the most unexpected person, and actually be surprised by who's closer to God than you think? And you look at them and you think, there's no way. But actually, their heart is towards the things of God, and they're waiting for an invitation could you choose obedience instead? Perhaps that position of obedience will change your perspective of that person as it did for Rahab and the spies. Perhaps that person that you imagined was so far away from God, but actually has been watching your life from afar 
and says, I see cloud by day, I see fire by night, I see a God that goes with you, and I want that for me and my family. Could that be? Could you choose obedience instead? You might find yourself having a day where you put your head down on your pillow at night and think, I can't believe the conversations I've had today. I can't believe who I thought was so far from God is actually really close. Simply because you were obedient and you walked up. And I wonder this morning, as we close, are you in a place of wanting salvation today? Maybe you've seen and heard about God from afar. You've watched the lives of other people. You've seen God move for them. You've seen how they have peace when they shouldn't have peace. You've seen how God provided for them when there was no reason for that to happen. And maybe you've seen the difference that Jesus has made for other people, but you've never yet said, Jesus, I'd like to try. I'd like to submit my life to you and see what a difference you could make for me. As every eye is closed here in this place today, I wonder, could you change the position of your heart right now and say yes to Jesus? Could you say yes to the person who can save your soul? Could you say yes to the one who's loved you every day of your life? Could you say yes to the God who knew you before you were born? Could you say yes to the person who's got good plans and wants to give you a hope and a future? Could you humble your heart before him, acknowledge your need of him, and is saving grace and take your first step on your journey of faith in Jesus. If that's you this morning and you want to say yes, while every eye is closed here, you're not going to shift your position physically, but this is a massive spiritual position shift. If you want to say yes to Jesus, I wonder, would you just be really brave and put your hand up straight in the air so I can see if there's anybody that I need to pray for this morning. You want to say yes to him. You want to change that position and perspective. As I look across. Awesome. So good. I can see that hand. Amazing. Well done. All right. Would you pray with me this morning, church? We're going to pray together as this person's just made this incredible, incredible step of faith to say yes to Jesus. We say, dear Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. I submit my life to you. And I want you as my Lord and Savior. I don't need to have it all worked out. But I'm going to start walking with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that was you, what I'd really love you to do is just head to the Next Steps banner at the end of the service. There's going to be a person there who can help you just understand a little bit about what you've just done and help you take those next steps. But I can... I can almost guarantee that as Rahab went to sleep that night and, and as her whole family was saved, that she didn't immediately go and throw out all of her idols. She didn't immediately have a, a full life change. But as she spent time around the family of God, as she found out about how things could be and how God designed them to be, that as she walked that out with friends and family, that her life started to change. And we're believing that that's how that's going to be for you this morning. Would you stand with me as I can pray for us all as we finish the service today? Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray for every heart this morning that as our position changes, as we choose to be bold and add works to our faith this week, Lord, that our perspective will change, that we'll see things the way that you see them, and that, Father, that will result in much fruit. 
much fruit, many souls saved, Lord Jesus, many people being brought close to your heart, Lord, many people taking their next step towards you. Father, give us courage and boldness as we walk this out this week. And Holy Spirit, help us to know what we need to do to change after hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.